0: Just after twelve o'clock here on the Doctor Payne Show, one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U to get a hold of uh, Doctor Lou anytime. Info at paincarecanada.com. and of course the phone lines here open for the uh, for the hour for you to call in with any uh, discomfort or questions about your uh, your well being. Four one six eight seven zero six four hundred star six forty on cell. How are you,
1: pal? Good, you didn't go with maladies this. Week.
0: I, you know, I'm not saying that ever again because you hammered me for it. So
1: there, <laughs> I love the word. You're the only person comorbidities. That you... <laughs> that's well, yours. Yeah, I'm all right.
0: Like, yeah, that's it. We're even, son. <laughs> What's going on? Not too much. You good? I'm. Um, I'm. I'm good. I'm. I'm ready for the clock to turn back tomorrow. Awesome. Not really. Oh yeah, that's no, right. I forgot, I forgot
1: about that. Spring forward, fall back. There you go. Yeah, for sure. No, it was a uh, interesting week for sure. A lot of cases came through the door. Um, one that I wanted to start the show with was. Uh, um, relatively young guy, um, came in long history of just that, I guess, aching, chronic back pain type of thing that a lot of people oh, yeah. experience. Uh, it's been going on, he said for about 10 years, um, and hasn't really ever thought much about it. Just something he kind of dealt with. Just and live with it. Yeah. And it was, yep. it was what it was. And, um, I asked him if he had ever had this investigated at all. And he said, nope, never really thought to. To you know, go get anything done. I've gone to get some therapy here and there, just kind of massage when it's very temperamental yeah. or whatever. Not, nothing major. He's like, but you know, in the last three uh, to four months, it's it's significantly worse than it has been in in the last ten years. And um, so, right there, you know, when you start thinking of a of a long history of spine-related complaints. His complaints were primarily low back and neck area with the mid-back also affected, but not as much as the low back oh, okay. and the neck. So full spine. In um, long history and more recently, uh, a little bit exacerbated in the last three or four months for no specific reason. It wasn't like he said, you know, I had, um, you know, I, I started a new sport or I've been doing Fell down this the stairs yet, or something. For no yeah. reason, just got worse. Um, and so, you know, with that type of history... Um, mechanical things, simple soft tissue injuries, uh, simple sprain, strain, uh, things like that. The research would indicate that on average, and this is on average, with all other things being equal, no other comorbidities, right? Um, Things like that, that, you know, within 12 weeks to six months, your pain should go away. Um, Once it starts being a long history of 10 or more years, that's you know indicates that this maybe isn't just mechanical. This is where I always talk about. Maybe we're in that mid part of the spectrum. Maybe we're dealing with something inflammatory in nature, uh, where there's an autoimmune component attacking the joints. And but
0: structural at that point, no longer muscular, soft tissue. It's more bone. Well, it can and affect everything.
1: Definitely with the autoimmune stuff, it will start to affect the joints. Right. But once joints become affected, your your muscles will respond uh, to that happening, hmm. so they'll tighten up. And things will happen in the muscles as well, just because as the joints, something's going wrong with them, the body naturally will tense the muscles up to try to protect that area, right? That's a protective mechanism. And so, um, you know, he goes through his history. Then I start asking him some very key questions because I'm tipped off in my head to this sounds maybe like it could be autoimmune. Autoimmune arthritis tend to have some very characteristic types of things that go along with them. And um, one of them particularly is that they tend to be much worse after periods of rest, especially long rest like a whole night. So people will wake up in the morning and they'll be stiff as a board. Now, that can happen with mechanical issues as well, where people who just have mechanical injuries tend to be stiff in the morning because of disuse, your enzymes nope. aren't working as well, and so those muscles are a little tense. However, you tend to get, as you get going within you know, the first half an hour of your day, you start to loosen up. People who have autoimmune arthritis, Tend to be very characteristic in that they say it takes a few hours for me to really start moving around and feeling better. So it's a much longer period mechanical issues that are just simple soft tissue injuries also tend to be worse with activity later on during the day, that type of stuff, right? Like everything's fatigued and you're just feeling worse. Whereas um, in the autoimmune, it's actually the opposite where activity gets you moving, gets you feeling better. And it's really that disuse that really aggravates the issue. And he was characteristic, almost textbook. Like I was checking it off in my head saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, this very much sounds like something that may potentially be Uh, Autoimmune. And so I I basically told him, hey, listen, at this point, um, you know, it doesn't sound like it's on that right side of the spectrum where we're dealing with very, very serious, dangerous things, cancer, infection, things like that. I said, it also doesn't sound like it's all the way to the left side of the spectrum, which is totally benign, like, you know, you just pulled the muscle and it'll get better in two or three days. We're probably somewhere in the middle. I said, I think a a good bet is we take x rays of the spine, different areas of the spine, uh, because you know, if there is some type of autoimmune attack on those joints, there'll be evidence of it.
0: In an x-ray, is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, okay.
1: N- usually not early on, but definitely after a significant amount of time, which he was complaining of a significant a decade, amount right? of time, yeah. there would be some evidence. And um, and sure enough, we took the x-rays, and particularly in the SI joints, which is where the sacrum and the ilium meet, um, those joints are are very predisposed to autoimmune attack. And so what ends up happening is if you look at that joint on x-ray, it should have a nice joint space. It should be normal. As inflammation starts to happen, you'll start to see corroding of that joint. And as that continues, eventually you'll have full fusion of the joint where you just absolutely lose the joint. And then you have an area that's just completely fused. And in this gentleman, because of the long history, sure enough, those SI joints were completely fused, which wow. absolutely explains um, the issue. And so, it, you know, was indicative at that point when you see that that it's something like ankylosing spondylitis, which is a spine-related um, degenerative change due to an autoimmune attack, often uh, or always that um, that then creates fusion in in the spine. And the reason why I thought this case was important was this person waited so long. A lot of the the available tools that we have now, whether it's the different medications that could be used for the autoimmune stuff, the therapies, you can at the very least try to prevent the fusion of the joint. The pain may still be there, but the, the really important thing with... Things that are autoimmune arthritis like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, um, ankylosing spondylitis, uh, reactive arthritis, there's a long list of them, is that you really want to prevent fusion of those joints because we've gone through this. Once areas fuse, other areas have to To make up for mobility. And as those areas have more mobility, they're more predisposed to degeneration yeah. and the same process. Domino effect, right? Exactly. And yeah. that's a very dangerous thing. So, uh, you know, I think it highlights the fact that if things have been going on, I, I usually tell people that if you have a simple mechanical back pain and it's not better within six weeks, even with some conservative therapy, maybe you're getting massage or whatever, and it's not better, then you may want to jump to some more investigation, x-ray, some blood work and things like that to make sure you're not in that middle part of the spectrum.
0: 416. Eight seven zero six four hundred 6400 star 640 on sale. You have questions, you have physical problems, you have issues, you just want to talk. Give Dr. Lou a call here on the show right till 1 o'clock. 416 870 6400 star 640 on sale It's the Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM640. It is just before 1215 on your Saturday afternoon here and the first show of November. It's it's amazing how fast this year oh, has, um, we're is. We're talking about it, right? It is the first Saturday. Like We've been doing the show a long time. But it's like it's already almost 2018, which is kind of freaky. That is crazy. Right.
1: That is very crazy. 416 870
0: 6400 star 640 on sale You have questions, physical, medical, bring them on. Dr. Payne here until one o'clock this afternoon. You mentioned about four or five times in that first segment with your uh, your patient, autoimmune. My mom yes. has it. Maybe your mom has it if you're listening. What exactly is an autoimmune condition?
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, an autoimmune condition is essentially where there's an abnormal response of your body's immune system to different tissues. Okay. Um, so specifically in that first part, we were talking about ankylosing spondylitis. That's where the, uh, the immune system is essentially attacking the spine and the joints related to the spine. Now you can have different autoimmune issues um, that attack different parts. So for example, multiple sclerosis is thought to be an autoimmune um, disease of the nervous system where it starts to affect the myelin sheath of the nerve, which is essentially what carries the electrical signal. And as uh, you start to demyelinate, those signals Mm -hmm. become hindered, and it can affect that. You can also have things like Um, Type 1 diabetes uh, in children is an autoimmune response where now the insulin um, is being attacked and and the insulin isn't there. Um, You can have other things where, um, you know, sarcoidosis, which is uh, an autoimmune response, usually in the lungs, where things start to happen in the lungs. So essentially an autoimmune response is where your immune system, for whatever reason, uh, starts attacking its own body tissue. And sometimes some of these... Um, things like ankylosing spondylitis that we were talking about in the long term can have an effect on vessels of the heart as well. Um, so it can cross over into other systems. Uh, rheumatoid arthritis, which is something that a lot of people have heard of, uh, is another example of an autoimmune a disease, something where uh, something is happening. Now, you know, usually the question becomes, well, why do autoimmune diseases happen? Right, the body attacking your own body. Yeah, and that is much, much more difficult to answer, and it kind of needs to be specific to what the disease is that we're talking about. So if we take the example again of ankylosing spondylitis, ankylosing spondylitis, when there's a gene marker called HLA-B27, that people that are thought to have ankylosing spondylitis, such as this patient, will have that gene tested. And um, that's one of the criteria for being diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis is for that gene uh, to be present. And so, you know, when you when you look at things that have a genetic predisposition, the best idea that we have is what's called a two-hit hypothesis. Mm-hmm. So in healthcare and and in, you know, anything, like in physics, when something is a law, that is what it is. Like gravity is a law. There's no... You know, we're not going to debate that. It just is that. But um, in a lot of science, what we have is theories, and those theories are up for debate, and we can't necessarily prove them as laws. But there's something called the two-hit hypothesis um, in healthcare, which essentially says that people have a certain genetic predisposition to something, but you also need something in the environment to trigger trigger that gene. Um, So what that essentially means is in that example of the HLA-B27 Probably a lot of people in the population have that genetic marker for ankylosing spondylitis, but not everybody that has um, um that genetic marker necessarily ever gets ankylosing spondylitis. Right. It's the same with some breast cancers like brac one and brac two, which are certain genes. Uh, and usually what ends up happening is women that are diagnosed with breast cancer, and if they have uh, daughters, they'll be told, go get genetic testing for these genes because it kind of gives us an indication maybe you're predisposed right. to this type of stuff. And so that that is the potential that anytime that there's that uh, genetic predisposition, that it also takes something in the environment to trigger that. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be something as simple as just stress, right? Stress wow. is, uh, yeah, you no know, kidding. You, your stress can activate a gene. Uh, maybe it's something worse like uh, virus. Viruses. A lot of, uh, you know, mono is is thought to be a predisposition to certain things. Um, Epstein Barr virus, specifically, and so that's thought to maybe trigger a gene for later on in life. So there's a lot of things that can trigger that gene. Um, but essentially, the good thing with the autoimmune stuff is if you can do things to. Um, control uh, the immune response you you can limit the, the effect of of that autoimmune disease 416-870-6400
0: star 640 on cell anna good afternoon how are you
2: hi there how you doing i'm good thanks
0: good what's so uh, what's your concern
2: okay so i myself have multiple sclerosis um i was diagnosed in 2000 uh, in 2000 uh, and i had two attacks back to back then uh, I was having symptoms of it at age 23. Uh, they kept telling me it was just stress. Uh, there was no MRIs back then. Uh, so uh, I just lived 19 years of my life not knowing what it was and very symptomatic, right? Right. Uh, then in 2000, of course, then we had the MRIs. So when I had those two attacks back to back, they did the MRI and they said, oh, you have like old brain lesions, many of them in your brain. Right. So um, I've lived uh, for 17 years on no medication. Mm-hmm. And i uh, just on very good diets, omegas, uh, you know, exercise, and I'm just being told that I'm coasting by my MS specialist, and, you know, it, it's just great. And I'm just, like, keep wondering, like, like I'm still so scared. Like, is this, like, just going to, like, evolve, you know? Like, how does it just stop? for 17 years mm-hmm. like i'm very lucky i'm very fortunate mm-hmm. I feel so sorry for everybody else out there but i'm just wondering you know
1: yeah i mean w- again with with ms once there's demyelinating lesions in the brain, that doesn't always necessarily mean that they progress. So a lot, you know, when you actually look at the the research, the vast majority of people with MS actually have almost the same lifespan as the general population. So most a lot of people with MS can pretty much live a full, healthy life really? with, with with the exception maybe of some symptoms that they may have. Um, the yeah. most common form of uh, of MS being relapsed, remitting, where there's symptoms that then go into remission and maybe never come back. There is a small subgroup of people with MS that have a primary progressive form uh, that can get very bad very quickly and, and be much more uh, fatal, but it's, it's not the vast majority of people with MS. So a lot of people with MS um, do have these things. And again, when you look at it, the fact that it's an, an immune response, an autoimmune response, If you live a healthy life where you have a good diet, you exercise, you minimize stress, all those things that your immune system would otherwise respond to, you can have a case such as yours, Anna, where you can go a very long period of time uh, with not much exacerbation of any of those symptoms. Um, And and that's good. And and it's basically, I would encourage you to just continue doing those same things that you're doing and... uh, Um, You know, again, when you look at it, a lot of people with MS have the exact same Mm -hmm. lifespan as the average population. So there's nothing that says that you have to necessarily get worse uh, as long as you are dealing with it. And so I think that's a a good example of an autoimmune you know, condition that you can manage with a lot of lifestyle things.
0: We'll keep this uh, this discussion open, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. we continue, Dr. Pain Show, talk radio, AM 640. 1224, Dr. Pain Show, we'll continue our discussion. Autoimmune, you have questions, you have comments, 416 870 star 640 on cell. You know, we were talking during the break. Now, maybe it's not the norm. You don't want to, you know, throw stuff out there that's going to, you know, give people false hope or otherwise. But I I had a friend who was a young guy, a couple years younger than I am. So he's in his early 40s. And, uh, yeah, MS and was wheelchair bound and, and, you know, degenerating quickly and ended up uh, raising money and uh, went to Russia. Mm-hmm. To a clinic, some clinic for a couple of weeks, raised about twenty or thirty thousand dollars, and he got something apparently from what his wife told me it was actually for cancer treatment. I don't know what the what the okay. correlation was, yeah. but he's back here now. He's he's still in a wheelchair, but he's got full weight back. He's in the gym. He's looking great. Like wow, but it's so, a, yeah, a different thing. Like in Russia, some clinic.
1: Yeah, the, there's you know? a lot of interesting things yeah. that are done around the world that. Uh, Um, that are very different from the way we do things in North America. Uh, One of the biggest things when I, like specifically for me dealing with pain management and something that more people can uh, kind of uh, associate with when we look for disc herniations, we often send people for MRIs of their Mm -hmm. neck or their low back in Canada. And in the U S we're doing those MRIs with people laying down. Now your disc disc is a hydrating tissue, which means that if you apply gravity to it, then there's a pressure component. You may cause a, Mm -hmm. a bit of a bulge. So Theoretically, uh, you know, when they've looked at this in Europe, they've essentially said, "Hey, you know, you're more likely to see a disc herniation if you have that person um, in 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 a gravity type of position, because most people are symptomatic." When they're standing or sitting, when there's gravity applied to it, versus so MRI, when they, I'm standing up. Yeah, so there's Brilliant. different ways to to do these things, and so um, you know, and then some of the things that we do on this side of the world tend to be a little bit better. The nice thing is because of how global of a community it is, we have all these things that are at our disposal. Uh, like you said, though, those things aren't going to necessarily be covered through our uh, private or publicly funded system. Right. So you may have to raise money, or if you have the money, you can go get. These types of treatments elsewhere, but I think it is important, you know, for your health. If you, if if you're not going to spend your money on your health, what are you going to spend it on? And and if you can, uh, um, you know, and not everybody unfortunately is in the position because a lot of these things can be very, very expensive too. But I do, I don't know specifically that clinic in Russia what they were doing, but Mm -hmm. I have heard of a lot of different uh, types of clinics around the world for different types of treatments, and and yeah, it's very, very interesting stuff depending on the issue. Um, that's going on
0: it's a cautionary tale though because you hear of people doing this especially with cancer and they say you know i'm, I'm opting not to do chemotherapy and radiation i'm going for completely uh i guess the word is holistic organic whatever approach right. yeah really hardcore and it's like some of them you hear good stories they come back and they're in remission or otherwise but man it's like mm-hmm. which way do you go do you and, and you know?
1: sometimes you hear horror stories right. right like there's been stories of people that are Full on, uh, you know, no vaccinations, anti-vaxxers, no medical treatment yeah. ever. And, you know, kid gets meningitis or something and they think they can treat that holistically, kid ends up dying. So there's there's also the opposite. I think the important thing to remember is that there's a time and place for everything. And we talked about this last mm-hmm. week specifically where, um, you know, when you look at that spectrum of uh, let's just kind of divide it with the more traditional Eastern type of, of approaches, the very holistic approaches to healthcare. And then you have the more uh, Western model of mm-hmm. uh, medicine, surgery. I think the beauty of the world that we live in is that all of that is at our disposal. And so I think it's a matter of trying to identify, and I think the harder thing is, when are these things the right thing to be used at the right time? And so I don't think you should ever limit... And something like that, in a case of, you know, you got just the regular everyday cold or whatever, do you necessarily need a cold medicine? Maybe just some, you know, good fluid intake and all that, you know, more of a more Eastern approach might be a little bit better. But, you know, if you've got meningitis you need to be at a hospital you need to be getting that treated that that can lead to you know full on brain failure and things like that and can be very very dangerous um and so i think it's very very important to understand that spectrum and know where things should be applied you know even on, on the topic of vaccinations and things you know, can I sit here and absolutely say that vaccinations never have an adverse effect? No, nobody could say that. Um, I think a lot of what's happened in the last few years with the anti vaccination is based on not good research, some research that was actually debunked to suggest that no, it actually is not related to autism and these things. And that's kind of where this whole anti-vax thing happened. Uh, But we also have to realize that You know, vaccinations have saved the vast majority of the population from a lot of bad things Mm -hmm. like measles, mumps, rubella, things that, you know, hundreds of years ago were wiping out a significant like of of the vast majority of populations of young kids. And so we have to understand that these things are not bad. There's a time and a place and, you know, maybe you can make the choice on you know now they've got chickenpox vaccinations like you know i had chickenpox so, when yeah. I was, and you so did you yeah. so is that maybe as necessary but i i do think that's where your job as um as a person and a consumer of healthcare, you do your due diligence along with your healthcare providers to have a discussion. And I want to touch on this a little bit more you when bet. we come Absolutely. back. Absolutely, yeah, for sure.
0: Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell. You got an opinion on this? You want to talk about it? Give us a call. You got time? Phone lines are open. Doctor Payne Show Talk Radio AM six forty. It is twelve thirty two. The Doctor Payne Show. Yeah. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell. Questions, concerns, comments. We'd love to hear from you, Maria. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How good, are going. you? Excellent. Uh, thanks for calling in. What's your concern?
3: Okay, I have a senior who's over eighty who has acid reflux. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can that be um, can that be repaired?
1: Well, what's the acid reflux due to?
3: Uh, we're not sure. It's mm-hmm. just that uh, it wakes him up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so once he has breakfast, he's fine. Right. But. Um, it, it is bothering him.
1: Mm-hmm. So this is kind of an example of what I was just talking about in the last segment where, you know, I, I, I meet some people who are relatively young and develop acid reflux and they think they need a medication for that and then when you start looking at their diet, it's like, well, you just kind of eat like a pig and that's why you have acid reflux. And and then there's other instances where maybe as you get older the, the sphincter that controls the muscle isn't working as well and that may cause mm-hmm. uh, some regurgitation and some acid reflux or maybe you have something like h pylori which is a bacteria that could be found in the stomach that can lead to acid reflux so i think the biggest thing is there's no real generic answer for me to say over the phone here's what this person can do for their acid reflux i think step one is trying to investigate what is potentially causing that acid reflux and we've
3: we've done all of that sorry um probiotics doesn't agree with them um mm -hmm. you know we've eliminated all the food right um you know that that is causing it yeah um um, <laughs> once you go through all of that, mm-hmm. is there anything else we can do? A- has he or... had a
1: scope to look at it to see yeah. what's going on in the stomach, and everything was fine on that?
3: It, it was, yes, yeah. yeah. So he's he's been taking pills the doctor gave him. Mm-hmm. I took him to a naturopath, and yep. he, he he says that that's not working at all. That's that's just making other parts of his body painful.
1: W- what's that? The the naturopathic stuff? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so do the pills, do the medication that he's on work?
3: Uh, The ones that... what the doctor gave him uh worked for a bit and then he started complaining again so um Mm -hmm. yes and no
1: yeah so (laughs) it works for a short
3: period of time
1: okay well the important thing with any type of treatment intervention is if there is something that works even temporarily what that tips us off to is that it does work maybe it's a matter of increasing a dosage or changing time so i would definitely encourage you just follow back up with the doctor who prescribed the medication and just let them know hey this was working it's not really working well anymore is there something else cuz there's also combinations of medicines that may be able to u- get used in that scenario so this is a good example where depending on what you try some things will help and you know in another instance someone may have tried the naturopathic treatment and said oh that that works really well and this is where it's individualized you have to kind of find uh, what works for you. And sometimes these things, again, as you get older, um, you know, a lot of the muscles, the connective tissue isn't as connective as it used to be. The elasticity is gone. And so that may just be one of the reasons for the the acid reflux is that, you know, the, the when you look at it, the every organ in our body is still a form of a muscle. Mm-hmm. It's, and so as you lose that elasticity, uh, things don't necessarily maybe work as well. And it's just trying to find ways to manage it. Sometimes with acid reflux, I've also found it tends to be worse with people when they're laying completely flat. So maybe at nighttime, trying to stay partially elevated helps to to avoid those types of things. And, and so it's a matter of trying Uh, different Mm -hmm. things but you know there's no there's not going to be any I think clear definitive answer where you could say here you could do um, a b and c and you'll be completely cured it might just be more of a management issue at this stem at this point
3: right are there any risks taking the medication the doctor prescribes
1: well there's always a risk to everything that you do and that could be a, there could be a risk to a medication as well as a risk to a manual therapy by a massage therapist i think the best um thing to do is again discuss that with the person who's prescribed those medications because risks the other thing that when you look at adverse events it's there's a long list you know some medications can cause some very scary things the same as some manual therapies and some holistic therapies can can cause some very scary things. It's it's a matter of trying to couple that with what the person has potentially a predisposition to. Um, And so, you know, like, what's a good example here that I'm thinking of? Someone who is taking, um, say, something like warfarin a blood thinner and, and, you know, there's a chance of, um, you know, thinning of the blood and bleeding out and things like that. You know, someone who's otherwise healthy on warfarin may not be as big of a deal. But what if you're dealing with someone who maybe has... Um, hemophilia or something something like that that already affects blood now that is where this person is more at risk so i think you're you're the senior that you're caring for that conversation needs to happen with the doctor because they'll know the pre-existing conditions the other comorbidities that are there his overall health history and that helps to identify what adverse uh, events are more likely than others
3: okay yeah okay. There, there's no other health issue but great thank you very much
0: no problem thank you maria I appreciate your call is it uh asia
4: on the phone asia
0: asia how are you
4: oh thanks for telling, t- t- taking my call sure go ahead yeah okay i'm 79 years old and i have bladder cancer i had two operations and it's it's invasive and they're coming back now i'm waiting for third operation but uh, things getting worse compared compared with the previous cystoscopy. So I'm thinking, um, I I look in a computer and I uh, uh, saw lots of things about uh, baking soda treatment by Doctor Simancini. I don't know if you heard about him.
1: No, I have not. What I what I can tell you is again. Um, You know, I think when it comes to any type of cancer treatment, I work with naturopaths who um, deal with cancer as well. But the important thing is to couple whatever is being done on that more natural side with also what's happening on Uh, the more traditional medical side of surgery and chemo and radiation. You never want to do anything that's just one or the other. And the problem with looking on the computer is there's a lot of things that are not substantiated in good clinical evidence. Google med school. Yeah, Yeah. and so you want to make sure. So if you're interested in maybe another... Alternative or complementary approach to helping deal with your cancer, I would suggest going to see a good naturopath. I could help you find one if you if you're interested. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say just start taking recommendations from Google without. Taking any advice uh, from a healthcare professional, you definitely, and even then, you 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 want to avoid people like on the holistic side that say no, don't do the the. Yeah. Western no, no,
4: medicine. no, no, I I am waiting for operation. That's what frustrated me because I have to wait for a long time. You know, it's it's right. a big waiting list, so. So that's why, you know, just I'm wondering. One more question that maybe if you know in Canada, there maybe there is some other um, time to, to do it, to, to speed up operation, uh, some evening, afternoon, or evening, holidays, whatever, with money or, or is impossible. Only, Only one way to wait.
1: Uh, yeah, you know, at the again, mercy of our system, right? Yeah, and the system is also designed in a way that people who are much urgent, like if you have someone who's very urgent, they don't just say, "Well, we're going to make you wait four months." There are always times reserved for very serious cases. So, whoever your uh, doctor is, likely a urologist who's dealing with this. You know, maybe there's not that big sense of urgency, uh, you know, or maybe they realize that doing the operation isn't gonna do much more. So I just think if if there's a concern on timelines, just go back to see that doctor and see if there's a way to expedite it and have that conversation with that professional that's outlined. Uh, the plan of management.
0: Appreciate your call. As you will take uh, more 416 870 star 640 on cell. You got concerns or comments or questions, bring them on Dr. Payne show. Talk radio, AM 640, 1243. Lots of time for you to call in, ask a question, make a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, 416 870 star 640 on your cell. Uh, Luann, hello. How are you?
5: I'm doing great, and just so you know, I'm a great fan of 640 Radio.
0: Oh, look at you! Thank you. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> What's going on with you today?
5: Well, uh, I've decided uh, for once and for all, for God's sake, to, to get healthy. Uh, eating is not uh, my problem because I can. We're vegans. We can be. We're vegetarians for 27 years. Vegans. I can quit sugar for two years, so it's not that particular problem. Mm-hmm. But I would like to ask the doctor. Yep. his um his uh wisdom on i'm I'm taking zoloft, and I have for years mm-hmm. and I've been told by several people therapists et cetera et cetera. Some doctors say it's really tough to lose weight on Zoloft, and the other people say not to eventually i I hope to get off you know someday before I pass
1: away but there <laughs> right so can I ask you why like Zoloft is mainly used for depression and anxiety? is that the reason that you're on it? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, and so you're trying to lose weight and you're having maybe a little bit of issue losing weight. And how old are you? Uh, 60. 60. Yeah, I mean, does, you know, including uh, a, an antidepressant type of medication like Zoloft, which is uh, works on serotonin uptake uh, and and inhibits that essentially... You know, can it affect your ability to lose weight? It's an antidepressant, so what it actually does is it depresses your nervous system, which in turn will depress your body, which can sometimes lead to just more fatigue and people that use this just kind of say they're lethargic. And so that may be a reason that, you know, that lack of energy um, can, you know, potentially create, uh, you know, lead to that. The other reality is that as we get older— it, it becomes harder and harder to lose weight. So, oh, yeah. you know, that I, I don't think that. You know, using Zoloft will prevent someone from losing weight if they really want to lose weight. Just might I guess be it, more right? work. Right? Yeah, it, it, it is what I guess I'm trying to say. Does it, is it maybe, you know, if the option was try to lose weight and not be on Zoloft? Maybe there's an advantage to that. I'm not sure. But I think the reality is you have to take into consideration the reality of your situation, which is I'm sure that the fact that you're taking this helps you to function because of the other health issues that you uh, live with. So I, I think it's important that you continue to use that and maybe have a conversation with whoever your um, healthcare professional is that's helping you deal with the depression and see if there's a way to eventually wean off of it or change uh, the type of medication that's being used or maybe introduce a behavioral type of program like cognitive behavior therapy to also help from that behavioral issue standpoint. Uh, But, you know, if I think... I don't think it's worth it to go off of it to try to lose weight. You just may have to work a little bit harder at losing the weight is the the reality. But I I don't think, um, you know, it's going to be completely prevent you. I don't think you can say Zoloft will prevent you from losing (laughs) weight. Mm -hmm. No,
5: I'm not going to say that. And you know what, doctor, I appreciate uh, you've articulated it much better than than I've heard in the past. And I I am seeing a cognitive... uh, behavioral therapist starting Good. in november
0: oh they're great Doesn't Yeah, they're couple... fantastic
5: oh i i'm glad because i have switched and i and i've just had so many deaths in the family so quickly mm, right and it's just been um hard and I'm, I'm finishing a phd and so my life is a bit uh stressed at the moment for sure but I'm, i i'm going to take that into uh consideration especially what you said about these the uh zoloft can make you feel a, a bit less energy a bit lethargic a yeah. bit. We weepy i you know I thought, yep. damn, mm-hmm. I thought it would help, but
1: mm-hmm. who knows well, it's an antidepressant, right? it's designed to do that because the whole idea is. The way that you make people feel better that are usually when people are depressed, they're overthinking a lot of things. And that creates like an obsessive compulsive behavior and anxiety component. And so you, essentially you want to depress the nervous system and and in depressing the nervous system, you just kind of, quote unquote, chill them out. And that's that's the whole point of an antidepressant like Zoloft, um, which is very good for, you know, th- this is this is the thing where there might be antidepressants a lot of people will talk about how they're they're so dangerous and like you know all it does is numb you out it's very very important that someone who's dealing with depression needs that but i also do believe it needs to be coupled with the behavioral interventions because yeah. oh, the, one, the one thing it doesn't do is change your way of thinking and a lot of obsessive compulsive depressive and anxiety disorders are just mainly due to a faulty uh, thought pattern more than anything and yeah. and so you need to have both and this is a good example of of you know that that traditional medical surgical approach being coupled with something else that's maybe quote unquote a little more alternative which is the behavioral side and coupling those two together will give you the best benefit. And when they look at the research, doing both in conjunction is better than just doing one or the other.
5: Absolutely, doctor. And I would reiterate for your for your uh, audience is that I was in uh, therapy for three and a half almost four years before. I even decided to start taking, so right. um, I think that's important, like you said, to see where your mind patterns are. And
1: to For see, sure, and, and using them together, and I think it's good that you're able to do both, and you might be an anomaly to the general population, because a lot of people, you know, there's this a very big stigma around mental health issues, and a lot of people right. are afraid to admit that they have some type of anxiety or depressive component. Sometimes they don't know. Or sometimes they don't know or they don't realize. And if you tell them, you know, no, I don't want to be on that medication. Medicine isn't our enemy. It's here to help us. And again, used properly, Mm -hmm. responsibly, and in conjunction with a good healthcare professional who is, um, you know, making sure that they can wean you on, wean you off. Maybe that you need to say at a certain dosage for a long period of time. This is very, very important. People who do these things right have very, very good outcomes and you need to be Uh, open to that and it sounds like uh, you are which is good and you'll have good outcomes because Luann
0: have you ever have you ever done any CBT before the behavioral therapy before this coming in November Uh, you you know
5: what I I have and I switched to a different type of of mental therapy And now I think I'm I'm ready to go back because I'm I think when you learn more about yourself I'm, I'm more of a pragmatist I want to get things done mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. give me a way to get it done I don't I'm not interested in the the whole huge context right so yep. so I think I think it's going to help a great deal we we chose someone that's kind of far from where we live mm-hmm. but just seemed like the right fit so I'm yeah. I'm excited about it the only thing you I'm very be. scared is that maybe I've taken this stuff for way too long. That's i'm I'm scared about that,
1: yeah, and again, go, go have that conversation, you know another good thing we'll touch on this after, but with medications have your conversation with your pharmacist too they know a yeah. lot about this stuff and you know ways to wean on wean off it and they're very very knowledgeable people to have those conversations with
0: still have some time 416-870-6400 star 640 on dr Payne show right to one o'clock talk radio am 640 getting down to the nitty gritty here in the last uh, few minutes of the hour so we'll get to these calls as quickly as possible omar good afternoon how are
6: you oh, good afternoon i'm good how are you thanks
0: pal we're uh, we're excellent what's your concern
6: um, I just got this uh, big bump, kind of thing, on my inner side of the thigh.
4: Okay. It's
6: just like I I took a shower at night and I just went to bed. The next morning I woke up to take another shower and I I felt this a little bit painful bump in there and I go like, what the hell is this and I I don't know where it came from.
1: So can you be a little more specific where it is? So it's on the inner part of the thigh. Is it higher up?
6: It's higher up, close to genital area, but it's not really in genital area, but it's more lower, but
1: mm-hmm. it's
6: the inner side.
1: Yeah. So in that area, and again, I can't be sure because I'm not there to to look at you, but in that area could be something like a lymph node uh, that's yeah. inflamed. Um, and so you'd have to get that checked out. You know, step one is, is go, go to a clinic, get a, an ultrasound ordered um, and, and have a look at what's going on. You'll probably need some blood work too. Um do you have any other symptoms going on?
6: No, I'm perfectly fine. I'm pre- like I'm pretty much healthy. I just worked like 7 days like okay. nothing is like unusual, but it's just like but it just like the the size of it just decreased. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, did we lose Omar? No, oh, he's still there. Hey Omar, are you there? okay so what do you think if we get him back
1: yeah if we get him back um yeah again in that area there's the the lymph nodes are in that area so a bump that just swe- uh, the,
0: the, the size and we're back like- <laughs> <laughs> okay sorry omar we dropped we out lost there for, for a minute. while there, omar. continue can you
1: hear
6: me yeah we can, we can now. hear you now yeah. yeah yeah so what it is like from yesterday till today the size decreased a little
1: bit and oh. it's less painful that's a good sign so so usually lymph nodes again lymph if it is a lymph node lymph nodes can swell for a lot of different reasons uh, all the way from you know local trauma in the area that just causes inflammation to uh, you know different types of infections uh, that can yeah. cause uh, things like that like especially in that area one thing to obviously consider and I don't know you know your sexual history but STds if you've been active sexually with multiple partners no. lately and unprotected sex no, no,
6: no, nothing like that the only thing that I do as I say it I just work seven and I, I work like really this guy left heavy stuff in it um, but that's
1: about it, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, it's, so it could also be something like it may not be a lymph node. It could be something maybe like a hernia. It's not a typical type area, of place, but right. um, you know, if, with your history, you know, again, it's hard for me to be sure because I can't see it, I can't palpate it. But I think uh, for sure, if it's happened, go get it checked out. There's, you know, you know, go. This is something that just going to a walk-in clinic. Sure. A, a walk-in doctor can good check start, that right? out, and, and that's a good start. Yeah, no need to go to an emergency room or anything. A walk-in clinic's good enough.
0: Appreciate your call, Omar. Fred, good afternoon.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, hello there. I'm, I'm going to try to make this quick, so I know you're crowding time here. Sure, bro.
7: Se- Seven years ago, left side hip replacement. Mm-hmm. Okay, been very, very well after that point mm-hmm. in time. Uh, last December, I survived a heart attack, and I've been on blood thinners, and uh, I'm, I'm uh, witnessing uh, quite a bit of uh, energy depletion, mm-hmm. uh, kind of struggling. But in the middle of all this, I have um, a very weak back. I mean, and I, I guess the formula was the right side may have to be done. Had checked that out. That isn't the case. I did as a, in my use. Tore, I tore the really if I could use that term. But that muscle now is really permeating and, and and hurting me on the on the right side. I'm equating this as because I might be on. Uh, I, I don't have the strength because of the. Um, blood thinners i'm on right now don't know what to do about this i can hardly stand up in the morning sometime it takes me a while and i'm i'm crawling up the stairs at night mm-hmm, right uh let's let's leave it at that what do you got to say anything that you can come immediately to mind based on what i said relative to the heart condition
1: well i think a couple things here the fact that you had a hip replacement on one side and then you're suggesting that you likely would need it on the other side hip issues can definitely create pain in that area that you're describing uh, could it be compounded by the fact that, you know, you had a, a heart attack and now you're on different medications, you maybe okay. were also immobile for a period of time and things like that, that could just be compounding the issue and maybe uh, further exacerbating it. But, you know, based on your history, to me, it sounds like it's probably primarily related to uh, degenerative changes in that right hip. Now, you'd have to have an x-ray to make sure. I but did.
7: I did. I had X-ray in the right, lip, uh, right hip and uh, a an total observation ultrasound, and there's no reason to go, go on with a hip replacement on that side yet.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that, that, uh-huh. yet. Now, what does that mean? That means there's degeneration, but just still not to the point that the left know. side was on?
7: I don't know whether that's an insinuation that it could be necessary or not. Right. Um, the, yeah. the fact so, is I'm not a candidate right now.
1: Okay. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have any degeneration in the hip. And the thing about hip issues is they tend to use the the a hip replacement is very good for people who have that very sharp internal groin pain yeah, another sequelae cool,
7: of oh, you, hit, you hit the nail on here hang on if I, if, I, if I could make interrupt i do at times when i'm getting up uh maybe come out of bed at night to, to go to the washroom i have a streak of pain that i've never witnessed this until about the last few months down on either side of the balls uh down into that area a little it'll strip it sort of holds me back caught your comments on that if you will please.
1: Yeah. So again, there's a lot of a lot of the nerves that go into the legs also go into the pelvic area and into the genitals. So if there's anything going on uh, with the nerves in that issue, it may be catching the nerve and creating pain in, in other areas, not just the leg, but also into um, the genitals, and so that may be uh, an issue. But I think again, you're you're your overall history is 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 more complex than doing a justice just on the radio come see me for an assessment we can look at everything and try to determine what the cause of that pain is
0: 185555 Dr Lou dr That that is the number now the show is done for another another week 185555 Dr Lou or info at paincarecanada.com till next time the doctor pain Show talk radio am 640.